Welcome to the Disaster Tough Podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management, that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. This podcast is brought to you by L3 Harris. L3 Harris is an amazing company. They provide communications for first responders all over the world. They created the Beyond Push to Talk app that allows your team to communicate between mobile devices and radios through encrypted lines, which makes it so much easier for the team. Even better, they are offering the Beyond app at no cost to agencies for a limited time. You have to check it out. L3Harris.com slash responder support or click on the show notes for details. This is episode nine. Welcome back, everybody. Again, this is your host, John Scardina. So excited to be talking about drones this week. I promised everybody at the Wildfire Management Conference last week that we'd be talking about drones on this podcast. And so this is a realization of that. Thank you for tuning in. If you went to the conference, thanks for listening to the presentation, for sending me those those really nice comments and notes, and uh, you know, especially the questions that we got during the conference about how to implement drones and some of those limitations. Today, I'm really going to be focusing on some of the capabilities of drones. So I'm not going to be talking about the high altitude like Reaper drone or the Predator drones. I'm going to be talking about those small quadcopters that people most mostly at the time they think for hobbyists or for toys. I'm going to be talking about it from a first responder standpoint and from a geospatial analysis standpoint, what it means for you. So emergency managers are going to be looking at technologies more and more in the future. This is one of those emerging technologies that really impact people. They want to know why it's important. There's lots of speculation going on right now with drones, with DJI as that foreign-made asset. Is it okay to use in the United States? There's lots of questions surrounding it. So I'm just going to be really focusing again on those capabilities, and I will address some of those concerns. But mostly what I want you to be able to walk away with today from an emergency management standpoint is what is the tool, what are the capabilities, and should you use this in your specific realm, right? Whether you're a first responder like a firefighter or a police officer, or you're working from the geospatial side, or you're working at a hospital, you're an emergency manager for a university, whatever, Lots of different areas you can use this in, and so we're going to address some of those capabilities and uh, go from there. Okay, so the first one is the wildfires, Southern California. So I want to be talking about that real quick because I talked about it in my presentation. For those who didn't tune in, we talked about how we implemented, and by we I mean the, the National IMAT West, implemented the first tactical level UAS operation for the federal government. I happen to be the creator and developer of that program. We talked about the inaugural use of the drones, again, tactical level, small drones in disaster and what that meant for us. So just to give you a very quick overview, we found 31 additional homes comparing to a 33-person preliminary damage assessment team and a National Guard unit. We reestablished or we found eight homes that we previously thought were destroyed that were not destroyed those structures, we did it in a third amount of time and at almost zero cost. Oh, and by the way, we only did it with five people. 
two in the field. So there was a lot of wins there. And in terms of the inaugural use, it was a, a wonderful capability. So wildfires. In wildfires, we use lots of different assets from satellites to high altitude drones, helicopters, boots on the ground, lots of people collecting information. But what we found was in that inaugural use, there was a, a capability gap because the situational awareness piece was either from infrared at the high altitude drones or boots on the ground. So we wanted to capture the data of the, of the real time as well as be able to analyze that in the field. Now, I'm not talking about post-processing. I'm not talking about the months later that they go through and they try to figure out the, those, uh, those after actions. I'm talking about an infield asset wanting to know information right then and to be able to analyze it. So drones are really great for that because with the wildfire, if you're flying in infrared, one, you know, of course you're going to be able to capture that information where those hotspots are and they can find those field teams to get, get them out there and protect those areas. But it also hinders the, the data collection because if you're flying infrared and you're flying an oblique, which basically means you're flying at an angle, that fire or that hotspot can be between the structure and the drone. So it can appear that the structure is uh, on fire when really the, the responders have gotten in there and have protected those homes. So if we can get in there right after the disaster to collect that information, that's golden for us. Now, why do we want to do that? Why is it so critical to get in there? The wildfires with any other disaster, when we have a large-scale disaster, we want to collect information as fast as humanly possible because there are cascading events. And we need to know what problem caused what issue, or rather what disaster caused what issue. So if you have a wildfire accompanied by an earthquake later, or you have tornadoes and floods, which happens a lot, we want to know what caused what damage so that we can mitigate and make more resilient communities. So that's why we need to get there as fast as humanly possible. So in that wildfire mission, we found a lot of structures turned out to be homes that were not collected. We coordinated with the PDA teams for areas that they couldn't get into. And no problem with the drone. We got it up in the air and we were able to take those pictures. Now we did coordinate with Cal Fire. We did coordinate with Cal OES and of course the FAA. And that presentation really goes into more of those details. If you have questions about that, you can uh, email us at info at dobermanemg.com. But going back to the, the capability standpoint, uh, it's a very, very cheap asset. You know, almost no cost to get out to people who already have the drone and take a bunch of images, even fly it real time, which is pretty cool. Uh, the next kind of thought process I was going through when I was looking at this was Harvey. Hurricane Harvey, as I've brought up several times this season, I really should call it the Harvey season, uh, is where we got the drone originally. So what happened was Harvey was such an impactful event. We're talking about you know 700,000 plus claims on homes. You're talking about a couple million people having to, you know, consider evacuating or not. Uh, you're talking about, you know, uh, this large-scale event, hurricane, that was, in my opinion, one of the most catastrophic hurricane events in U.S. history, if not the number one hurricane event to impact the United States. If you think about the water alone that was dropped on the state, you know, all that inundation, if you overlay that in other parts of the country to show you how big Texas is, it says everything from Maine to D.C. was flooded, 
or if you're on the West Coast, it would have been everything from San Francisco to San Diego gone. Okay, that is so much water. And the state is huge, and we had to deal with a lot of impacts to infrastructure. So we're trying to find innovative solutions. And the FCO said, you know, following the FEMA administrator uh, perspective, hey, if you have an innovative idea that can help save time, money, and uh, of course, uh, get people back on their feet, then explore that idea. And so we had been working for a while to develop the doctrine and policies needed to fly drones. And so using that disaster as a catalyst, we uh, went and purchased the drone and got all of the regulations, uh, or rather got all the certificates needed from FAA to be able to fly out in that disaster. So we did do some preliminary missions out there but I really consider the the wildfires in Southern California just a couple months after that as really the inaugural mission because it, it, it was at the point where we were actually collecting in real time for a disaster response rather than several weeks after Harvey when we were still there trying to catch up from response as we transitioned to recovery. That's when we started collecting that those drone images. So true response, I don't know for Harvey, but that's when we got the, the asset and it, it proved to be a, a phenomenal uh, thing. And, you know, fast forward a couple years later, now Civil Air Patrol is flying drones. Uh, other companies are flying drones. We are training state agencies to be able to have their own program. So it's really exciting stuff. Okay, remember that this tool, you know, I just talked about PDA teams and how we found more homes than PDA teams. Now, what I'm not saying is to take a drone and replace the PDA teams, although there might be an argument for that, to be honest. Uh, if you look at insurance companies, now they're using drones to fly over homes to collect data and to validate. We are starting to shift over to technology, but I would still say that boots on the ground are absolutely critical. You should still use your satellites. You should still use your high-altitude drones. Cessnas, I don't know. I, I have opinions on Cessnas using those. Nothing about the pilots, but just the time to collect data in the disaster Again, it's not really that beneficial. It might be for months afterwards with those, uh, you know, those mosaics that they collect. I'm, I'm talking about the disaster response, okay? Even preparation, uh, we can use drones that way. And we'll talk about that in a second. So volume calculators. Yes, drones are amazing for this. I have been to so many states where the contracts are put in place where they'll judge the volume based off a of site. So basically what they do is they take the circumference and the height and they make a dome and they say, okay, we think that there's this much debris in this pile. I'm talking about piles that are stories high, right? Using cranes and everything. These piles, unfortunately, create a donut effect. As these trucks are coming here and just dropping off these huge loads, then as they go around, they're naturally creating this donut. And so we're paying for a big hole in the middle. That can be millions of dollars, you know, over the course of a large-scale disaster. So we want to address that. So you can do a volume calculator. So you can literally fly over a city, collect all the volume of the debris, and tell you uh, how much volume you're potentially going to have. It's fantastic for that. It's also fantastic for uh, collapsed buildings. You're talking about search and rescue, especially urban search and rescue, where they're having to figure out which buildings to go into. We can literally find people and help out with collapsed systems by using these really small drones. 
Okay, the next one is real-time situational awareness. This one's the obvious one. A drone, video feeds, can get back to people at the state EOC or at emergency operations center and start to look at their disaster. So that feed can go to the counties, it can go to the state, it can go to federal agencies. You can pair that up with all these different resources to know where people are at. Thinking about the PDA teams alone, hey, we want to make sure that as they're canvassing these neighborhoods that they're safe. Let's get a drone up in the air and just make sure that everybody's uh, doing okay. We can keep track of everybody. So really cool uh, capability there. Egress planning for facilities. Okay, this is another uh, really cool one that people don't really think about. I like to take our drone when we do an emergency operations plan and an occupant emergency plan and go to the facility, get those CAD files, and take imagery both inside the facility and outside the facility. So I can create a 3D model essentially on my computer that allows me to see everything about the facility. Why is that really great? Uh, not just for egress, actually. It's also really great for the first responders. They get there, they're dealing with an active shooter event or they're dealing with an active assailant. They want to know what the corners are, what the facility looks like. Now you might have access to the cameras on the outside, but if you can provide them their incident command, whoever shows up there, say, hey, this is what the facility looks like on the inside, then they can start doing tactical planning without going in there blind. And this saves lives, it saves a lot of time. Uh, this also helps out with fires, right? Where do we collect people? Instead of trying to have to explain that through the emergency coordinator of the facility. So that is one thing, or those are a couple things that I think about when I think of planning. Egress, as uh, mentioned earlier, that I didn't really go into detail. That egress planning, if I know what the facility looks like and I know what the grounds look like on the outside, instead of trying to get my 2D image from from Google or from another source that was might have taken years ago or a very expensive flight that goes over, this drone, again, very cheap asset, can get right over there, take all the pictures. Okay, there's parking lots space here. There's, uh, you know, a forest on this side. There's other adjacent facilities. And what does that look like? How far away are they, are they going to be? Where is the first responders going to come in? And you start to really understand the scope of where people are going to collect and they should collect, they should muster as they're trying to evacuate a building. So it's better for just data and trying to understand the scope of what you're looking at. If you're an emergency manager and you're new to an area and you have college campus, this is like one of the best things you can use for that because you can get the whole scope of the campus, you can get 3D, you can start doing some planning of you know, where people are going to go and how they're going to collect, get some uh, updated information there. A next one would be civil unrest. Uh, this is going to be a tough one for me to talk about because of what's happening in the news uh, with George Floyd and with um, so many others who've been, and been impacted by um, not just race relations, but uh, police brutality. Emergency managers are apolitical, and I stay apolitical. The Doberman Emergency Management Group, of which I represent, posted a social media uh, blast, just letting everybody know where we stand, so that there's no question. We took the American flag that I hold very sacred, to be honest, 
And of those 50 stars representing the 50 states, I had our creative director change the color of the stars to the all different kinds of skin color. And then we said that we were equal. It is, um, it's tough for an emergency manager right now to talk about civil unrest. In fact, I've gotten so many questions uh, the last couple weeks about civil unrest and asking me to make a podcast on it specifically. I've chosen not to. Um, but I will say this, everybody's equal. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you sound like. Uh, you have respect because you're a human being and you should demand respect and people should treat you with respect as I demand respect and I demand to be treated with respect. Now, if my personal actions have not reflected that, there could be consequences to that. So civil unrest, um, going back to the drone perspective, if you're trying to watch where people are going as in a crowd and you want to know what's ahead, right? Well, I would start looking at critical infrastructure, ways to make sure that if people are peacefully protesting, they can go in a path that is safe for them and safe for the people who are in their community. And if it turns into riots or if a riot is completely separate from that, which happens all the time for whatever reason, uh, we need to make sure that critical infrastructure is not impacted so that same community can recover faster. You don't want to have to deal with a community that is already rearing from a lot of pain and anguish and frustration uh, for, again, myriad of reasons, not just what's been on the news lately, but for a myriad of reasons, to then have to deal with a longer recovery of systems not working where their, their communities hurt. So you have to look at how to let people be able to vent their frustration and anger and quite frankly, we don't always do a great job at that uh, with coupling that to making sure that they can recover faster so that they can uh, overcome those feelings of frustration and anger uh, in their own community. What the drone can do is get up in the air, a couple hundred feet in the air, again, very cheap, and just to make sure that the peace is kept there, make sure that everything's fine. It's not doing anything else besides observing, providing that real-time situational awareness and if there is something, there's a crowd headed towards a critical infrastructure, then we can update and we can you know, handle that situation. But in terms of a public space where uh, there's civil unrest, if you want to protect your responders, not put them in harm's way or put them in a path that nobody's even at, then you can help guide those uh, locations a little bit better. I do want to say one thing, um, I guess one thing extra about this whole, this whole problem with what we're dealing with right now in our country and trying to efface uh, some of the sins of the past. I would say that the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, and the Journal of Clinical Psychology have all said the same thing about people with dealing with extreme frustration and anger. The number one thing you can do, now this is going to sound really existential, right? The number one thing you can do is to be kind. Uh, there is a time to yell in emergencies. It's to get people's attention so that you can save their life. There's another time to be gentle. 
And we don't like to be talking about gentle because somehow it feels opposite of being tough. No, sometimes the toughest thing is to be patient and to listen and to try to understand somebody else's perspective or to recognize that you'll never fully understand, but that you can respect them as a human being. So it just, it pains me to see what's been happening. That's what I would think about as an emergency manager, really focus on, you know, taking care of people, helping people heal as fast as possible, treating people to respect and protecting everybody, protect the people who have frustration and anger, who want to protest and also protect the responders who have a duty to be there. But you don't want them to either escalate the situation from a lack of training or uh, create a problem where resources are not in the, the right spot. So again, drones there. Going back to some of the capabilities of drones, here's another example. Flying over the Hawaii volcanic eruption in 2018, Kilauea, you're not going to get people over that right? It's a freaking volcano. So what you want to do is to get an asset up there that's, again, really cheap just in case something happens, but can start to fly over the disaster. And I'm not just talking about the the volcano. I'm talking about those homes, that, that infrastructure that's being impacted by the lava flowing down. So now we can get a drone over there and we can start to collect some data and try to figure out how to better handle volcanic eruptions. In fact, I was coordinating with the FEMA Region 9 team, the GIS guy out there. He's a really good guy. He's actually core. His name was Frank. And Frank almost got me out to that disaster three times. I was, uh, it got, I got to the point where I got orders three times to get out to that disaster. And all three times, uh, you know, the situation changed, so it got nixed. But I will be forever grateful for Frank trying to get me out to there. I would have loved to respond to that one and help out the people of Hawaii there. Talk about a unique disaster that you don't see every day. Okay, the very obvious one that we should never skip is talking about marking floodwaters on homes. This one is so hard to do after a disaster because as things dry out, that floodwater, where was the true height? Because the water can go in there and creep up the walls. So now you have additional damage from the water. Where was the flood water at when it first impacted the home versus when it receded? Now, flood, flood water sometimes mark the homes. They, they kind of they stain that side of that home, but it doesn't happen always. And so that's really important for understanding uh, the level of loss, if it's completely destroyed or if there's you know several feet of water that if you get the air out, hopefully you can save the homes and the critical infrastructure. Uh, but the other thing is modeling. Modeling is so important with flooding and trying to capture where the floodwaters actually went for inundation, even for surge, is really critical because if we get better at figuring out the model, then we know uh, more precisely how many people to evacuate, where they should evacuate to, how many responders we need, you know, just the whole gambit. Shelters opening up, if we can model better and faster in a disaster, then we can be saving time. And that's, you know, the absolute need and for saving people. So one of the last ones I want to be talking about is the structures versus PDA teams. Now, I alluded to earlier that this doesn't replace PDA teams, the preliminary damage assessment teams. And there is an argument for 
for that. But the reason why I say don't replace your PDA teams is because a, a drone team should work in conjunction with the PDA teams and get into hard to reach areas that they can't get into. Being out there several times, meeting with people and trying to help them out, I found that talking to locals really, really helps to understand the context and what was going on and allows me to be a better emergency manager. So if we have PDA teams out there who are looking for structures and happen to talk to locals, that's really important for us. It's important for me. I have two experiences from disasters that I've already mentioned on this episode alone. The wildfires in Southern California, I went out there with our sick guy, Kyle, and we were flying around trying to get into some hard to reach areas. And I could see on the camera that there was an individual walking up on the other side of the SUV from where we were deployed. Now he didn't look threatening, but I knew he was very curious. And so I just said, hey, Kyle, like there's a guy coming up, just you know, watch out for that. So Kyle, you know, immediately addressed it, went around the SUV, started talking to the guy. And um, I kept on collecting images. And um, this gentleman asked us what we were doing. And I said, hey, we're flying drones. We're trying to collect information on the fires so we know how many homes were impacted. He goes, well, there's been other people trying to fly drones to try to get cool images. I'm glad that somebody's out here finally collecting data. And I asked him about that. I said, well, how do you feel about drones and how do you feel about people out here? And he said something to the effect of, I'm just glad somebody's looking at my neighborhood. These people are our friends. They're our neighbors. Not everybody knows or has training what to do in disaster. And it's really hard to remember that sometimes. You, once you learn something, you forget that everybody else hasn't learned it as well. So talking to this gentleman and saying, hey, like we're here, we're a team. There's a, a whole bunch of people at another site that are looking at this and are trying to collect information uh, trying to analyze that and try to make good decisions for the, the community. I think it meant a lot to him. He said, okay, what do I do? Because I had something that burned down. And I said, okay, you got to make an insurance claim. And you have to kind of walk through these processes. And uh, just being out there and talking to this gentleman for five, 10 minutes, you know, I think really helped him out. So that's where like PDA teams and that's where like the door-to-door knockers, those, you know, those FEMA Corps members, that's what they were really good at, is just to get out there and help out locals and answer questions. Hurricane Harvey was another big one. You know, Army Corps of Engineers uh, was looking at the structure, this dam structure, and saying, hey, if this gives, then we're going to have an exponentially worse problem uh, from flooding, right? And so there was a discussion of what to do, and ultimately those engineers had to recommend that they would intentionally flood one part of a neighborhood. We have to make those those decisions because, you know, disasters happen. And like I've said several times, they're not clean cut. And some people are getting impacted uh, potentially forever, right? But it was a way to save a lot more people and a lot more lives. So when we went out there with the drone... The period of response was, again, coming to an end. We were moving into recovery. But I was able to talk to a lot of those locals in the neighborhood. Again, friends, neighbors, human beings, and hear their perspective. You know, they. I think a lot of people actually understood because um, there was news stories on it and Army Corps of Engineers was very open about it. FEMA was open about it, why it had to happen. But it was still hard, right? And... Um, a lot of these homes were flooded 
based off a decision we had to make to be able to save more lives. So getting out there and talking with them and hearing their experiences, hearing how they were sitting in their home and they, they realized that there was going to be uh, flooding in the neighborhood, this particular couple could not get out. So they stayed, and so they watched this flood move up from a gully, essentially, and uh, through a park and starting to flood into their neighborhood, and they could see this from their house. And so they're just watching these floodwaters rise. Now, an anxiety that you would feel and the, the stress you would feel over that is probably just overwhelming. Um, and uh, to hear that story and to think, okay, we need to get better at modeling we need to get better at all these different systems so that we can make decisions that uh, we can impact less and less people. So drones are really good for that, working in conjunction with the PDA teams, getting out there and talking with people. Again, my mission is to collect data as fast as humanly possible and have somebody analyze that for a better decision. But you know, consider your local PDA teams, your state level preliminary damage assessment teams to use a drone as part of their mission so they can get into areas faster while they're meeting with these people or while they're doing drive-bys. Whether you hire a company like mine to go out there or you're trying to do it in-house, I would say get these drones. They're extremely valuable. If you learn how to use them, you can replicate that over and over again. So even a company like mine who will go out there and support a state with our own drones the reason why we're able to do that so quickly is because we have, we're able to build up quote unquote our arsenal of drones that can get out there and fly and collect information as fast as possible and uh, help these people out. So that's what I would suggest. Go through there and look at these capabilities. Add it to your tool set. It is a tool. It's something you should use. Recognize that it can do volume calculations that can save the state a lot of money. It can do real-time situational awareness. It can help out with egress planning and uh, first response tactics. It can assist with civil unrest to keep people safe. It can help out uh, with flying over hotspots, literal hotspots like a volcano. It can help out with mark marking floods on homes. It can help out with uh, doing modeling and disasters, help out with urban search and rescue. It's not that expensive. And it can really change the tempo of how your incident management is responding to a disaster by collecting the right information. So if you're an emergency manager and you're working with GIS, understand why they want that drone. Understand that maybe you're not the guy to use it, or you're not the woman to use it, but there is a capability there that can help people move faster. So those are my tips and the capabilities for using the drone. Hopefully I gave you some experiences to draw on, whether it's wildfires or uh, Hurricane Harvey or volcanic eruption. There's lots of use cases already that you can start applying it. Look through that for your teams and hopefully it can help you out. If you have other questions about how to implement that, feel free to reach out to us and ask questions at our email. Uh, give us a call and say, hey, we want to implement this. How do we do it? Or can you come train us? Can you help out fly with us? We'd love to collaborate with you to make sure that you're doing it appropriately and responsibly so that you're coordinating well and there's no negative impacts. Thank you again for listening to this podcast. If you like this episode, please give us that five-star rating and subscribe so you can get the latest updates. If you have a comment or if you have a question about drones and using them in disasters, or if you want us to talk about something specific in emergency management in your field, 
please send us an email at info at dobermanemg.com. Again, that's info at dobermanemg.com.